Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Ed Mayu. We're back, everyone. We took a solid two weeks off. We're trying to build up a bank of podcast guests. If any of our listeners have people that you guys recommend that we reach out to to have on the show, shoot our Instagram account a message with the individual or yourself that you recommend and what your kind of subject matter expertise is. We're trying to build out as much of a bank as we can. In the meantime, we realized myself and Austin haven't actually done a podcast episode on ourselves in a long time. So this week, we're going to be interviewing Austin Ye, co-founder of Rise, co-owner of Ontario Property Deals, Toronto, what was it, Toronto Life or what were you on? Dude, you were on like- Oh, Toronto, Toronto Life article. <laughs> Featuree, is that a word? Featuree, Featuree yeah. Toronto you, Life article you, person. <laughs> you caused ripples in the middle of the pandemic, bro. It was, it was I was the most hated guy in Toronto for like a week. <laughs> So Austin, for, I mean, I, I'm hoping if, you, if you're listening to the podcast that you know a decent amount about Austin, but Austin, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, obviously, we did a podcast episode number three in Austin. We won't dig too much into his early days. We'll kind of cover the gap in the last year and a half since we started this podcast. So Austin, why don't you yeah. just tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I am a real estate wholesaler. As you mentioned, I co-founded Ontario Property Deals. With Waylon McHale. So that's a real estate wholesaling business. We've been operating that just a little bit over a year now. Since then, our goal was to turn into a seven figure business, which we're able to do. I'm also, I wouldn't consider myself a flipper. I've done one flip, but let's add that to it's like when you know you go on LinkedIn and you do one thing and you just add it in. So let's call myself a flipper. I've done a flip and also a joint venture investor. And I also purchased properties myself, specializing in the Burr strategy. That's a little bit about myself now, but if people want to know the backstory of myself, I can just quickly highlight that. Although, as you mentioned, we dig deeper yeah, into it in the first yeah. episode. Let's okay, yeah, very, very high level. I started uh, investing after reading the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which Antonio Young Sam recommended to me. He was featured on this podcast before. Purchased and closed on my first property in was 2018. So just like three months starting my new full-time job and was not a fan of it. And I needed a way out. So closed and purchased my first property in late 2018. I think it was probably like October, November. Bird the property, purchased two more properties, bird them, started raising capital from there and started building my brand as well, which is how Rise Network came about. There was no clubs in the GTA or meetups or none for the younger audience or long yeah. distance investors. So kind of started that up, grew to what it is today with the help of Mayu, obviously, and the community members who constantly contribute to it. And um, that's a quick one-on-one about me. Like, I, I just don't want to go, I can ramble on and on, but <laughs> that's a good summary. Yeah. So I think last time when we had you on the podcast, which was literally like our second or third episode, but at that point, I think you were sitting at maybe 18 or 19 properties. You were working a full-time job. You were investing, I think, predominantly in winter. I think at that point you were still out in winter, right? And you were still joint venturing. So I'm curious, like how have things changed? Like looking back now, that would have been like August of 2020, I think, right? So it would have been a solid year and a half. How have things changed since then? Yeah, things have changed significantly. I found that after leaving my full-time job, I needed a more stable source of income. Long-term rentals are great. 
But when you refi them at market value, our cash flow becomes very, very deteriorated unless we turn over the tenants, which by now a lot of our units are actually under market rent because rents have just skyrocketed like crazy. So I knew I couldn't reliably use that as a source of income, as well as like we talked about it before, Mayu, but our deferred maintenance on some of these properties are just ridiculous, especially our student rentals. They tear it up. So <laughs> any of the cash flow that we save from there was just reinvested back into the property. So I made a huge focus, and I know this is similar to you, Mayu, and switch into active income, which is where the wholesaling has come in. Now, I mentioned this before, but wholesaling is a business that is much more difficult to start off than people think, especially mm. if you're looking at sending out mailers. So I wasn't getting paid anything for the first couple of months. In fact, I was about 30 grand out of my own pocket into the business, spending things on like infrastructure, things like Salesforce coaching program. So we're coaching as well under um, uh, a wholesaling mastermind thing, mailers, advertising website, like there's a bunch of things me and Waylon were, were shoving our money into. Yeah. And it, it took a while before things started paying off because our revenues are collected after the fact after we get deals, but started building a team out and wholesaling as well. Because as I started engulfing myself into the business, I realized there's way too many things to do. And you can't really scale it if you're working on everything. You know what I mean? So we started slowly bringing on more team members to focus on acquisitions. We're in the middle of hiring a disposition manager. So holding interviews for that. But all of that to say the shift in my mindset has been to generate active income and to take that active income, scale it into a business that I can step off of. And it doesn't necessarily become passive income per se, but it only takes about 10 to 15 hours of my time a week. That's what my shift in focus has been. And this is the first year in 20, believe it or not, this is the first year 2022 where I'm actually paying myself a salary from the business. So we're drafting up paperwork and I'm finally going to be paying myself a salary living off of that. So now I can focus on acquisitions again. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the wholesaling business there, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to start off with that. So you started off your wholesaling business in what was it? 2020. The end of 2020, I would say it was like, October, but like a lot of that, as you know, you're just putting the brand and stuff together. Yeah. Okay. So, so let me ask you this. Did you need to do all of the shit that you guys did for your wholesaling business? Right. Like, did you need Salesforce? Did you need uh, whatever system that you guys invested in? Cause there are like a lot of people that try to start up a wholesaling business and they, and they do wholesaling for themselves. Right. And they don't inject nearly as much capital into the business as what you guys are talking about. At least is my understanding of it. Right. So what really led to you, you and Will and each having to inject like 30K each, right? Here's the thing is, is that when we got into wholesaling, we wanted to treat it as a business and scale it. Some people get into wholesaling with the mindset that similar to when you get into becoming a realtor, you do everything yourself, you make a lot of income and kind of go from there. When I went into wholesaling, my thought process is like immediately, it's like, how do you scale this into a business? And you can't scale these things into a business without using things like project management tools, CRM systems like Salesforce. So for us, it was a priority. And although it cost money out of our pocket, we knew in the long term it'd pay off. And the reason why, Mayu, and that, that's a really good question, actually, is, is that at the beginning, Will and I were doing everything ourselves. So everything would kick into the CRM system. So all of our phone calls are recorded automatically when we jump on a phone call. Actually, I don't know if I should be, say, I should be saying that, but all of the phone calls are recorded. They kick into the CRM system. Any notes that we have in a particular property, we can just write it down in the CRM system. You just like search the name, search the owner, 
search any sort of detail about the property pops up. All the details are there. The name, the email of the owner, the last offer, the notes of the property. You can attach photos, videos, and all of that. So that was super important to us because we knew we didn't want to work in the business forever. So we needed from day one, as much documentation of all of our leads because how you make money in wholesaling, one of the aspects is follow-ups. We follow up with leads that are a year and like about a year old. If we didn't have that organized in the system, then our new hires can't possibly pick off where we last left off. A lot of people try to keep everything in their head and their mind instead of documenting or getting the right processes or purchasing the right systems so that the business can scale forward, right? So it's not absolutely essential to have those programs to be a successful wholesaler, but it is absolutely essential to have those programs to run a successful wholesaling business, right? There's a difference between being a wholesaler and being a business owner. So that was the differentiation between us. So that's why we invest in all of these sort of programs, project management programs, and we have hires. People might ask the same thing as like, why are you hiring ABC? You could do it yourself. Yes, you could do it yourself, but I'm trying to run a business and not do it myself, right? Right, right. Okay, so so let me ask you this then. What do you think made your wholesaling business successful, right? Because we've both, and I say grown up in a very weird way, right? But there's a lot of people in our kind of cohort, right, of real estate investors that also are kind of at the same time. A lot of people have done wholesaling at various magnitudes, right? There's obviously the super big wholesalers. There's also wholesalers that do kind of as a, not hobby, but like as a side business, right? But you guys are consistently getting deals. You're consistently locking things up. And I think like in my opinion, and sure people can say it's biased, but like I genuinely think there's some good margins on the ones that you guys send out, right? So like, like last night, you guys freaking sold it before I could even message you about it. That one in, uh, it was like an hour north or something like that. Yeah, the one that was like two minutes from the waterfront. Yeah, yeah. I was I was literally talking to my partner, like, yeah, I'm going to message Austin about it. I like sat on it. And then I see the email come out today. I'm like, that's fucking gone. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but like, what made yeah. you guys successful? You know, I, I appreciate you mentioned that comment. I actually gotten that. I feel like I'm tooting my own horn, but I've spoken to numerous buyers and they said the last, over the last three or four months in particular, if you narrow it down to that range, we've been sending some pretty good deals recently. Even when I look at them, I'm like, damn, like these are, these are pretty dope deals, but the obviously yeah. our assignment fees are high as well. So it's not like going to be 20 K assignment fees. Um, yeah. the one that you're talking about was a 65 or 70 K assignment fee. Right. So like okay. we, we do have our margins in there as well in terms of what makes us, I guess it's a hard question. What makes us successful? So yeah. I could take it in a number of ways, but really it's just, I would say it boils down to commitment with your employees. And this sounds kind of cliche, but it really is commitment to your employees and wanting the best out of them and training them and providing them the resources to succeed. So let me give you an example, like in internships where I didn't particularly enjoy, feel motivated or didn't do too well, you kind of just go in there and the ramp up is very quick and the expectations that you get started and and hit the ground running very quick. And you can relate Mayu and audit, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you have co-ops calm and it's in busy season, there's no really no one's there to kind of walk them through the ropes because everyone's stressed out and dealing with their own sort of shit. So right. I, I have to work a ton of hours and Waylon as well. So yes, we, we, we have our own tasks to keep the lights on in the business, but then now you have to train these people. And a lot of people will try to work within the same hours, like seven or eight hours a day. 
and then train their people, do their stuff. And when they start neglecting training their people and getting their work done, we don't have time to train everyone and everything, right? But we we did it completely opposite. We would focus all our time training the people and whatever time we had left over, we'll try to do a keep lights on task. So we have weekly meetings with our team. We have one-on-ones. We have a project management system to see what everyone is doing. We have literally, I can pull this up right now, but we have a 19 page document called the Fast Ontario Home Buyer Way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's like literally a guide to how to get started in this business. Watch these videos, listen to these episodes on YouTube video, listen to these episodes of the podcast, read this particular book on negotiation. And then from that, we have meetings talking about these topics as well. And we're on call. And when I say we're on call, if our employees don't call us, we'll call them. Like I like sometimes if I don't hear back from an employee for a while, I'll call them. It's like, hey, how's everything going? Um, how are the leads coming along? So I make a forced effort to connect with them, right? And yeah. genuinely want to see the success. And Waylon does the same. And we do like the benefit from us is that we come from a corporate background. I find that a lot of real estate investors, flippers, wholesalers, they don't really come from a corporate background. Some of them do, most don't, the ones who are doing it full time. And corporate does have its benefits. One of the benefits is that you really see how these big businesses operate, right? Corporate and you structure. Can, corporate structure, structures, yeah, everything, yeah. right? Documentation, processes, training, all of that. So yeah. I really mimic kind of my experiences with some of these other firms as well. I'm not sure if that's the answer that people want to hear, but that's what it is. It's just really putting all of your time and resources in training your employee, creating a culture of success and wanting people to do better. We are very visible with our numbers. So every single one of our wholesalers know what our revenue is at all time. If they want to know what our bottom line is, I am completely okay with sharing it with them. I'm super transparent because it, it makes it such that it's more of a team effort and everyone wants the business to succeed. One of our employees also keep on saying our business, our business, because it is our business, right? Um, and we mm-hmm. compensate people accordingly as well. Oh, uh, no, long, long winded answer dope. there. That, no, that was actually yeah. a great answer, man. Okay, so with the wholesaling business being set up, right? I mean, I know you've, we, we've talked in our year end in review as well, right? Where you've talked about how you guys locked up a sixplex, I think, and a fourplex, if I'm not mistaken, or was it a six and an eight? You guys locked yeah. up some real estate as yeah, well yeah. last year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with the wholesale business being locked up and you and I have gone back and forth on this, on, on what's next for Austin Yeh, and you just randomly call me with different ideas. <laughs> um, but what, what is next? Like, what's the focus then, right? Like now wholesaling business is set up and you're not going to sit on your ass and do nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to get to that. But before I do, I, I just realized I didn't finish my thought. There's one okay, more thing yeah. I wanted to add on to that other question okay. um, that I totally forgot. And so Waylon, senior director of sales, now uh, now a head of sales in, in a big corporate company, he understands the sales background. So what he does is he builds what's called sales uh, talk tracks, which you might have heard of before. I'm not may, maybe you have, maybe you have it, but it's common in the sales world and in, in corporate sales is is have talk tracks. That means Waylon has chosen recording conversations with sellers that in different scenarios, if they're bad, happy, this, that, whatever, so on and so forth that our reps listen to so they know how to deal with the situation. On top of that, the questions that sellers ask or the situations you run into are very much kind of alike in the negotiation process. So how do you address each one of these, right? And mm. our sellers, I know our sellers, our acquisitions reps need to memorize each one of those. They need to have it memorized within the, within the first two weeks and they get tested on it, right? Wow. Um, so, so there's things like that. But anyways, okay, so that's <laughs> that. Let's move on. 
in terms of, sorry, your question was, What's next? Right? Like as a wholesaling okay. business, like you built up your real estate portfolio. I, I feel like you were sitting at about like 40 units or so back, or maybe it was 25 back when we did the episode back then. You're definitely sitting north of like 40 now, right? What's next then as the wholesaling business gets stabilized? Probably take another month or two, but like I'm sure it's, it's getting there, right? Yeah. So the wholesaling business will still take a couple of months to be stabilized because there's a lot of things that go wrong in that business, such that like seller wants the back of a deal, buyer... I don't know, this buyer's problem, problems go like there's there's a bunch of problems, and those problems obviously are better dealt with with Whale and RI to to make final judgment calls. So we spend a lot of time doing that. But okay, that aside, in terms of what's next, I mean, I, I mentioned this in the first episode of the year where we're talking about our goals, but in 2021, trying to do too many things at once. We're trying to I, I was trying to acquire a ton of properties or units on top of doing the wholesaling thing, which was just not gonna happen, right? So we we acquired six uh, units, eight units, and a and a two unit, in which the six units just about to be wrapped up and reappraised now, and the eight units going to be wrapped up and reappraised next month as well. We want to put a focus back on the acquisition side, um, but take a different approach to it. So we're seeing a lot of people do short term rentals now, and I I kind of want to jump in that space as well. There's just so many things appealing to it, but I've just made a lot of excuses in my head because I invest in in areas where there's not really any system set up. So I got to set it up from scratch and it's not easy to set it up from scratch. Right. Right. So for example, Sudbury, I'm not willing to pay. I'm a cheap, I'm a cheap ass. I'm not willing to pay someone 20% of my Airbnb revenue to operate it. Screw that. Right. Like I'd rather make mistakes and find out how to do it myself, hire the right people and go from there. So What's next is, is that focusing on acquisitions against joint ventureships, which I'm sure we'll get into this podcast, but JVs, Burrs, and um, Airbnbs. So a mix of all of those at once, because when you refi properties at market value, again, your cash flow is so tight, especially if you have like a do, if you have a single family, forget about it a lot of the times. If you have a duplex, maybe a couple hundred dollars, but we want more cash flow. Right. Um, because for the JV business, or I guess I'll just mention at high level, we want to get employees and you never want to employ employees out of pocket. That's like a recipe for disaster. It's cash burn. Yeah. Equity gain, but fuck is equity gain if you're burning a bunch of cash. Right. Yeah. So like we need to be able to fund them by short-term rentals. So that's the, that's the game plan acquisitions, JVs and short-term rentals. And so are you still looking to go down the multifamily space? And I know we talked about this in a year in review, but like I was, more so wondering why not go down that space, like the larger multifamily. Yeah, it's more so a priority for myself on making things stupid, easy, simple. I like to not overcomplicate things. I've had the learning curve needed for real estate. I found the niche that I excel at. And in the off-market space, you rarely do come across apartments. You, you can, you got to put a focused effort on it. And it's a lot of focused effort. It's things such as door knocking, going their boots on the ground, which I just don't want to do. Yeah. I have the time capacity to do. So I don't care for doing that. I would rather operate our wholesaling business, have first look at deals, which a lot of the time are your maybe five plexes maximum and below, right? Take down those deals with instant equity, do simple renovations, refi out and short-term rental. I want to keep the business as easy as possible. I don't like to overcomplicate things where they don't need to be. And ultimately, my goal at the end of the day is assets under management count. I've changed my perspective such that that the real estate portfolio is going to add to my wealth. 
And these other sort of active businesses are what's going to add to my cash flow, right? So Airbnb, I consider an active business. And the wholesaling is going to be the active business that adds to my cash flow to live my life. Um, so it was kind of a mindset shift there. Damn. <laughs> That's a, so, so you're going back into the joint venture model. You and I JV'd a lot back in 2020, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and, and personally, I didn't do any JVs in 2021 except for one deal with a friend, which wasn't really a JV, but whatever. Um, and I don't think you did any deals in 2021 as a joint venture. So what's changed? Like, why are you going back to JV model? What's the thought process there? Yeah, a cu- couple of things have changed. Um, one thing is, is that when we were doing it, I, I just don't think we did it. We we're growing too fast. We're a victim of our own growth, right? Yep. Which is which is 100%. why there was <laughs> there was a lot of like trouble juggling things, setting expectations. We we're trying to do everything ourselves. So I wanna I wanna limit that, right? Um, as I was mentioning before, I want to get more hires on board. So Waylon and I actually sat down and set a meeting with Mandy Branham. Mandy JV Queen has ton of experience operating a JV business. She buys, I don't even know how many properties a year, but quite a bit. And I wanted to pick her brain apart. So it was like, how do you continue doing this and feeling motivated? Because communications with investors, keeping everyone up to date, managing multiple properties, not an easy thing to do yourself. So I was yeah. trying to break down and understand her structure. And I glad we gladly pay for her time. We pay like, I think it was 300 to $400 an hour. Yeah. Not, not a bad fee at all. Yeah. Right. When you understand the value, it was yeah. just kind of breaking that apart. So Here's the thing is, is that we have our wholesaling business and we have a JV business. Both of them can be complementary because most people who, who do joint ventureships don't actively market off the market, right? They usually buy from wholesalers on the MLS. So we already have a niche in finding good deals. So we want them to be complementary. And we still, as, mind you, as, you, as you know, we still do collect the fee yeah. on these um, joint venture deals. And it's nothing crazy, right? But it's enough to cover operating expenses on the wholesaling side and paying our acquisitions managers who got the deal, right? And maybe leftover will be $500 or $1,000 for the business, if that. But yeah, I mean, so like we collect the money to keep our wholesaling business afloat. So it's not cannibalizing. They're still getting paid, right? Everyone's still getting paid. And we still have a dope deal that we get to close on with a joint venture partner. And now I want to limit communications, right? So I set the expectations right up front to look like, we're going to talk, yes, but it's not going to be a weekly thing. It's not going to be an on-call thing, right? There's going to be an element to trust to it. So just really setting the expectations up front, as well as having an admin on board as well. So we're in the middle of hiring an admin. Funny enough, our current admin in Ontario Property Deals is recommending us to another admin. So we're going to hire that one probably. Is your admin in, in OBD, is that like a VA or are you guys hiring? Like it's, a, it's a virtual assistant, exactly. So okay. we're going to hire another virtual exist, uh, assistant. And set systems around communication, right? Communication with property managers, with contractors, and with, what was it? And with partners. And right. here's the thing is, is that, yeah, they might not know exactly what to say at all the times, but at least I'm communicating with one person instead of five people. I hate jumping back and forth conversations, different phone calls. Mentally, I'd rather, yeah. it's, it's so exhausting. It's, yeah. And you forget, you forget who you're going to call next. Like if I can just talk to one person, yeah. And have them like shoot it, like communicate with the right people. Yeah. That would save me a tremendous amount of time, right? Yeah. Shopping for materials online uh, for cheaper prices. I don't do that as much anymore because yeah. like it's not worth my time. But if I can teach someone to do that, that's fantastic, right? And the last element to it is Airbnb. So the map property management side of things, the Airbnb side, the admin's able to help with that, with communications, with guests 
what to do when problem solving, who to contact who. Again, systems aren't fully flushed out because we're going through it right now. And I do see that there's going to be hurdles along the way, but that's my thought process, right? There's people in place I can hire. And now that hire, we're thinking of as a project manager. So if we get like five properties, have a project manager manage all of them, right? But you can't just, people, here's the thing. People's like hire, 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 hire. Yeah, you're, you're going to go bankrupt doing that, right? Like you can't just hire, 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 hire. You need cash to hire. And so that's why the Airbnb is going to facilitate reinvesting into the business to continue to scale. Well, so how does the split work? Because these are like your expenses. So your expenses are paid out of your share of revenue or yeah. that kind of shared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My expenses are paid out of my share in revenue. Exactly. Which I mentioned to you again, by you, like what my understanding of real estate is, is that like, I'm going to use that as a wealth builder. I don't yeah. need to particularly live off of it. That's yeah. what I have wholesaling for. That's what I have my personal Airbnb portfolio for as well. Right? Right. A lot's changed then. <laughs> a lot's changed. Yeah. I mean, the focus now is, as I was mentioning before, is trying to grow the Airbnb business in areas that there's no fucking people. So I can share some of my struggles there. <laughs> What's going on? What have you been seeing? Have you guys done it yet? Like, are you guys live on something? We're or? operating it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, this is my structure. I'm not sure how everyone else structures it, but this is how we're going about it. This is that first and foremost, we're going to have contractors to renovate it. That's cool. So we need the contractors to take measurements of the property or their unit and send us drawings of it. Just high level drawings, scribbled it down, all the measurements of what it is, right? And once we have that, we have an Amazon list of furniture, appliances, every small thing in Amazon that we need to order. Okay. So I connected with a cleaner that was local to the area. And this is the part that's difficult, right? Is you got to train these cleaners a lot of the time. So I got the cleaner to agree that we can ship all of the stuff over to her personal residence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yeah, like, man, you can't just ship it to the, uh, the apartment. Someone's going to come rob it. No one's there. Right. It's vacant. So you need, you need to ship it to someone. Like these are the struggles that people don't fully think through. And when you're doing it like five hours away and try to build a system from scratch. So Already, the cleaner had a shipment of 15 things. So she leaves her garage door open in the backyard. She has like, not garage, a shed in the backyard. So the Amazon person, I get on a call with them because um, no one's there to pick it to open her door. And they call me. They're like, hey, we have the packages. I tell them, go to the backyard, drop it off at the shed. No one can see it. No one can rob it, right? Because it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, there's a lot of small things that go to it. So then that accumulates up. And what her job is, is that once I have the measurements of the place, we're going to go on Upwork, right? And hire a designer. We already have all of the furniture. We're like, yo, just bird's eye view, draw where the furniture is, measurements, detail, whatever, whatever, right? And then I send that over to, back to the cleaner and I pay the cleaner a thousand bucks to put the stuff together, which is not bad. Not so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, like 60, it's 55 to $60 an hour because it takes two days, you can say, to put everything together, right? Furnish yeah. one unit takes two days so she charges 55 to 60 dollars an hour for cleaning as well like she charges 40 dollars an hour for cleaning okay okay so this is because and, it's gonna, i guess more manual. and now and i yeah. and then we're gonna have her she's pretty much her boots on the ground you can say right like she's she's a key uh key employee and we're gonna have her also do grocery shopping and all of those things for us we're gonna have a storage unit on site so that we can store all of the airbnb stuff in there so yeah. She doesn't need to go grocery shopping every month. She does it one, one, twice every year for our properties, right? Go 
go back to the storage unit, take it out, like clean, whatever, whatever. But then when she goes out and buy groceries, we'll give her a spend limit. She'll pay and then we'll we'll pay her for our time as well, right? Per hour, kind of like Instacart. Or we can just Instacart things over. But yeah, the hardest thing to solve for by far is who the fuck is going to put the furniture together four hours away, right? Like that's not I easy. I guess like task rabbit, there's probably not that many people on that shit. Contract is going to be way too expensive for it. Probably managers don't want to touch it because they don't really get much out of it. Yeah, that's a fair issue. And, and here's the thing is, is that not all your furniture comes in time. Like it comes from a week to three weeks out. So you need someone to actually like, be patient till all the furniture comes in and, and does it. You can't afford to pay contractors to come in for three hours, come in the, the next day for another yeah. three hours. Like they won't do that. They need full day jobs, right? So, so let me ask you this. How much of your strategy then is dependent on this one lady and what happens if yeah. she leaves? Uh, it's, it's a lot with companies too, man. You have yeah. like an employee that's really good. And then if they leave, you got to fucking scramble, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. Like you got to like, how do you... So the question that I'm asking is like, how do I prevent her from leaving is by compensating her well so that she, she actually offered $40 an hour for the setup and shit. I was like, no, 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 we'll do 50, 55 an hour because it's more laborious. And I want to make sure that you're compensated like fairly. So like, she's very happy with that. Yeah. And it's like, look, we're going to be doing business again and again and again. So we're going to continue to scale and grow together. If it doesn't work out, like I got to do the same thing again with another cleaner. It, it, it really is like one, a leap of faith Two is, is like, you just got, you have to understand that you're going to probably train people like in a city that's super far away that might not be on top of Airbnb as a Hamilton, Cambridge, Oshawa, Toronto is. That's probably very easy to find the right people to do it, right? Yeah. Not as easy in like a, in a Sudbury, in a Timmins, in a Sault Ste. Marie, in a Chatham, possibly, right? Like those places are probably harder and you're probably going to have to find the right people and train them and trust that they're going to be doing a good job yeah 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 no that's fair man i i'm going through the same thing on some of my other ventures which we'll talk about next week but it is a concern it is a risk for the business but ultimately like you'll always be able to hire someone else you might scramble you might struggle it might be a mess for a couple of weeks you, until you hire and transition someone else and if the employee does leave right when you talk about doing this jv to airbnb model like what markets are you targeting um are you going to do it on the city approach or are you going to do the vacation homes types of property, single family duplex, or are you going fourplex? Like what's, what's the parameters here? There's gotta be some guidelines, right? Yeah. So honestly, it's just birth. My priority number one's birth and Airbnb is the secondary option. Like if I can't Airbnb a burr, I'm still cool doing the burr, right? Like, yeah, the cash flow is probably only going to be like two to $300. My priority is not the Airbnb. The priority is being able to burr the property and Airbnb is just like a second check. If you can Airbnb a dope, right? But it's also coming with the understanding that you're not going to refi your Airbnb furnishing or that's not the expectation because yeah, each unit, here's another thing that I learned is that furnishing a one bedroom unit and a two bedroom unit and a three bedroom unit, not that much different. All of the cost is the same except the bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> Only yeah. the bedroom changes, right? So how much are you spending furnishing this stuff? Like seven, seven, eight grand for one bedroom? Uh, about, no, yeah, about, about 7.5 to 8.5 okay. grand, depending. That's what we, yeah. And then that includes like your pots, pans and all those little things as well. It doesn't include setup costs. That's like a separate cost in zone. But yeah, in terms of like the specific market that I'm targeting, here's the thing is, is that like, I consider those two, two separate things. One is, are you able to burn the property? Right. So in that I'm, I'm down to go to any market where the numbers make sense and I'm able to refi and I can just figure it out. I can either send my contractor from Toronto there. I 
been thinking of flying him over to a place that's seven hours away. There's an airport in that place seven hours away. Yeah. So I was just going to fly him over because he drives four hours to Sudbury back and forth. So yeah. eight hours, right? Fuck, he'd be happier with a one hour flight, right? No? So like, <laughs> like, that's the thing is that I have like reliable people. And if, if I can't use them, like I'll find other contractors as long as the deal is good enough. So yeah. I'm not really location dependent anymore because I think we both probably had enough experience to understand how to go about building teams. And yes, it is stressful initially, but when you find a dope deal, it's just hard to... Like it sometimes is just worth it, right? And the Airbnb is secondary option. So what I'll do is after after analyzing the deal, seeing if I'm able to burn it, what I do is two things. First, I like to go on Google, take a look around the area and see if there's motels and hotels around. If there's no motels and hotels, it tells me there's not many people willing to stay overnight there because those businesses don't really exist, right? Like generally when you see that, you know that someone has done their market research as a business owner who does short-term rentals. So there is some sort of demand so you can compete and steal those clients or, or buy yeah. your own clients, but that's what it is. Right. The other the option thing you is you can be filling a need though. You can be filling a need in that market. You um, could, but there's too much risk. That, that yeah, becomes yeah. a risk element for me where it's like, okay, like I'm not willing to take that gamble anymore. Right. Right. Okay. All right, Austin. So we usually at this point in the podcast, ask our guests three kind of questions about themselves. You've already answered these questions back when you did it in episode three. So I'm going to ask you a different question. We might just start doing this for every guest moving forward. So Austin, what, in your opinion, what's the biggest risk either in your personal life, your portfolio, or even in today's market, just like talk about one of the risks that you see out there. Yeah. Um, there, there's, there's a lot that has been crossing my mind. And one of the things that we constantly talk about is it's, should we still be acquiring aggressively as we have before, right? Because asset prices have gone through some unprecedented appreciation over the past year. And it appears like so far entering into 2022, it's it's somewhat going to be the same story, right? There's a lot of instabilities, a lot of uncertainty on what's going on. People are talking about things that are great hikes where people can barely even afford the mortgage right now. So a rate hike could, I mean, even for investors, it can significantly deteriorate any cash flow that they once had because everyone's so used to like one 1. 1.5% rates. They don't adjust for calculations on a 3% rate, right? I would I would say that the biggest risk or not the biggest risk, what I've been doing differently is now that whenever I calculate numbers, I allocate a ton to expenses such that the cash flow almost never looks juicy in any of these deals. So I'm running things on interest rates of 3 to 3.5% almost always, mm. right? Just in case of a hike or anything like that. I'm running things like bad debt expense, you know, like in case tenants don't pay, I allocate a percentage to that. For capex and maintenance, I allocate ten percent, right, eight to ten percent, anywhere from that. Vacancy, I'm still allocating around three percent. So I would say that I've been a lot more conservative in calculating my numbers from a cash flow perspective because we talked about this before, Mayu. As long as you cash flow, typically you can withhold yeah. most downturns as well. With stand, but the asset, I mean, the the prices are are ridiculous, and the reason why they cash flow for a lot of people is just because. You know, your interest is so low. So I'm just kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, what that, that word slipping my mind, risk, risk adjusting for these things. Um, yep. sensitivity analysis. I'm yeah, doing like sensitivity yeah. Analysis in like yeah. yeah. I'm putting in buffers. I, I think that's the biggest, and I, and I've even noticed that with personal portfolio things as well. Like we saw our insurance and all of that hike mm. up. So that's yeah. impacting our cash flow. Like we need to be more conservative with that because our rent, our expense item 
it's going to inflate quicker than our rent line. So whatever yeah. cash flow you have, it's going to deteriorate, 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 right? So those are things that I'm looking out for now from an investor cash flow point of view. Okay, that's dope, man. Um, okay, the second question for is you. Is it dope or is it the world is ending? No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of people are concerned with it. It's just good to see how you're running your numbers. Um, what are your goals five years from now? Goals five years from now. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot, man. Like I am, <laughs> it's probably not good to say this, the real estate host and the podcast is, I'm, I'm less ambitious as I, as I once was getting into the game. Right. What? Um, no. yeah, and I, I definitely am like, there's less, not less ambitious, but I'm less willing to do what it took at the beginning. At the beginning I had, I was okay to sacrifice everything and have no life. Like as people who know my journey, I, worked a full-time job, came home, literally did real estate until night. Like I, if you can go, you can look at my YouTube channel, I had YouTube videos and those are filmed during work days, edited, filmed, whatever, whatever. It's not the best quality, but it was a fucking shit ton of, of work. And on my days off, if you look at my early Instagram content, I did short 30 second clips, edited, cut it, wrote the content myself. Every single day in a second was allocated into real estate. When I was working from home, I was working on real estate <laughs> and on weekends, I would travel to London, Ontario to work for free with Mike Rosehart, right? He was my, he was my mentor at the time. So there was literally not a second to myself, right? I saw my girlfriend Friday dinner and that was it for like months straight. Um, maybe it's different. Like I'm not willing to make those type of sacrifices that I did early on as I can now. And I think my goals are a lot more, when I think about it, it's not as scary to me. It seems more achievable. A lot of people like to set scary goals so you can try your best to try to reach it. My goals, when I look at it, it's like, it's not, it's not that hard. I just gotta work, right? A bit, just a bit, and I can probably get there. So in five years, the wholesaling business, less than five to 10 hours a week, and I'd be able to pay myself out maybe like quarter million to 300 K from there working five hours a week. Right. So have that sustainable continue going on from a portfolio point of view, honestly, like I don't care to see anything more than $30 million assets under management, which I think is super attainable. Like it's not, if asset prices continue rising, like that's not that hard to achieve. (laughs) Yeah. And then having that exactly. And then having, and then having, um, an Airbnb business as well, that maybe generates me another six figures in, in, uh, cash flow. but the priority is working less. I just don't want to work as hard as I have before. Mm. And I want to be able to travel and have more flexibility in life. Uh, maybe that changes though. Maybe, I don't know, fuck, like sometimes I say these things and then all of a sudden I just want to buy everything again. But that's, that's kind of my mindset now is just, and, I, and it's reflective of my goals in 2022. Keep things simple, stupid, and easy. Those yep. are my goals. Simple, stupid, and easy, right? Awesome, man. I think that was great. I think um, hopefully, our, hopefully our audience agrees as well. But I, like, we speak a lot. We talk a lot on the phone or whatever. But like, I still, I still learned a lot just kind of hearing you talk about how you envision life and what you want out of it and, and that kind of shit. So it's pretty cool. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode with Austin. Austin usually does the ex- exits and I'm, I'm terrible at this. So just make sure you guys uh, like, comment, and subscribe or whatever to the podcast. We are also having our first event of the year, January 29th, I think on the Saturday. It's going to be from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. We're going to be going through all sorts of topics from, you know, how to find your own deals, how appraisals work, 
even just understanding like the basics from a financing perspective that really helped me early on different things that you really need for a beginner or even an intermediate investor to really grow and scale up their portfolio. So if you guys haven't already bought a ticket, make sure you buy one soon. I think we've got about 20 or 25 tickets left. I know it's online and in theory it can be unlimited, but we chose to cap it so we don't have a totally chaotic event. So if you guys are going to be there, looking forward to seeing you guys there. If not, see you guys next week.